Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. We have a special, special, special edition. We do. We have an amazing guest. Amazing guest. We don't have any special year-end treats or wisdom or knowledge, but we do have a great guest to end your year with or start your year with, depending on a podcast hiatus. That's right. Depending on when you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we have back with us, back. This is a another contender. This is another contender for the FNO InsureTech smoking jacket. Mm-hmm. Should we keep saying smoking jacket Why? this Why? day and age with you know health and cigarettes and all that? I mean, is that still where we're we're going for the smoking yes. jacket? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a smoking jacket because that's what the garment is called. It has nothing to do with smoking. That's what it's called. Oh, it's it's like a brand, like a a thing, no, like, like a, a moccasin. It's like a style, like bell like bottom, like like bell bo- high heel shoes or bell bottom oh. pants. My bowling shoes. Smoking jacket is a descriptive style. I didn't know that. I well, thought it was Lee, like a 1970s. Lee, you're born, raised, and lived your entire life in Waco, Texas. So everybody I, understands We why. have jackets? I don't know. That's right. You have jackets. In Waco, there are jackets. I, That's true. We call, we call them coats, you but call I, don't, them, I don't know. We call them jackets because everybody has one, right? But- there's other places in the world where they actually they they differentiate jackets between different styles of jackets and in some very very intimate places they have what they call smoking jackets okay which are like at a oh, country it's, club it's actually lounge wear oh my goodness mm-hmm. i do not have any lounge wear made most i got a pair famous, of warm up pants made most famous by Hugh Hefner oh it's like his pajamas the founder of Playboy magazine yeah can we start giving out FNO pajama pants? No, Lee. No, no. We're not going to do that. No. I feel like I really derailed this. <laughs> you took it in a whole <laughs> different direction. And I apologize. That that's on me. When you've do when you've done, so I I have to give a real quick shout out to our good friend Andy Cohen who sent us a little note about our two hundredth episode. He did, and he said that's so great. He says I don't think there's anything I've done two hundred times in my life. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read that. I did too. I thought that was really nice. And when I thought about it, I thought, gosh, you know what? He may be right. This might be the only thing I've done 200 times. I have quit 200 things more than I've done 200 things. I doubt that. You're an Eagle Scout, man. Eagle Scouts don't quit anything. That's the whole point of being an Eagle Scout. I did make that. I got a whole thing here. Like All these papers are all things I started and haven't finished yet, but not the podcast. We've done the podcast. I'm sitting here jibber-jabbering. I have people waiting to talk to me. Well, you're very important. No, I just have people waiting to talk to me. They're not, it has nothing to do with my. I I hope they don't yell at you. Why don't we uh, jump back on the, on the rails here and, and let our audience, let our audience know about the podcast. We have the one, the only, our good friend, Adam Kostecki. Can we call him a good friend? I think so. I feel like he's our best friend right now. (laughs) Well, our good friend, Adam Kostecki is back with us. We asked him to come back for one reason, and that is to talk about innovation teams and what they are and 
For those of you who are trying to sell the innovation teams, you'll find this interesting. For those of you who are on innovation teams, you'll find this interesting. For those of you who are trying to sell the carriers, you'll, you'll find this interesting. For those of you breathing, you'll find it interesting. Oh, wow. You went all the way there. Well, he gives us a look behind the curtain. He, that's that's what we invited him. The confessions of a corporate innovation leader. And we went back to that scene in Wizard of Oz where the Toto gets away from Dorothy and runs down the hallway and pulls the curtain back of the Wizard of Oz. And we see that all it is is this little old man pulling levers and pulling yeah. pulling ropes and whatnot. And we wanted to know, is that what goes on? What goes on? It, what really goes yeah. on? And Adam does a great job. You'll love this. So why don't you introduce us? Why don't you take us take us there? Well, so here's our second interview with Adam Kostecki, founder and principal consultant of InsureTech Innovations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our second episode, the companion episode of uh, our interview with the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. Adam Kostecki is back with us today. Hey, Adam. Hey, Rob. Hey, Lee. It's great to be back. Congratulations back. on your uh, 200th episode. Well, thank you so thank very you. much. <laughs> thank I thought, you. You know, when I came on before, I thought there was a chance I might be on the 200th episode, but there was not. I'm not. I don't rise to that level of importance. Well, oh, you do. It just wasn't in the cards. Well, actually, Adam, truth be told is I just got your check in the mail today. Perfect. So yeah. that's why if it would have we been can actually here, go back when, and change it when we recorded right. it, you would have been in. In fact, all the people who paid to be on the 200th episode were on it. So altogether, that was uh, four, nine, seven, ten. no, nobody, <laughs> nobody, no, nobody paid. But but we did get one uh, note from somebody congratulating us, and it said, "That's really great. I haven't done 200 things in my life with anything." <laughs> yeah, that would. Make I haven't me done laugh. anything two hundred times. That's what he said. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, you guys, I tell you, you're you're quite the voice of the industry here. Oh my god, and, yes. Uh, oh god, yes. You know, oh, I'm thank honored you, that you'll have me on again. I have no idea what we're going to talk about here today. I, I think the last episode that I, makes three of us. I told yeah. you my my life story, so I, I it don't was know good. More in the well here, so this one, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. We're gonna we're gonna peek behind the curtain. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I see Wizard of Oz. I see that one scene where they're walking yeah. up to the wizard and the little dog runs up. The innovators Toto, behind Toto there. runs up and pulls the curtain back. And there's the wizard pulling the levers and pulling the rope. And He's so unimpressive. They're so, so disappointed, aren't they? It, it really is. It's, it's such a shame. But it's not going to be anything like that today because we have Adam Kostecki with us. Adam, formerly longtime Amiga guy. Yeah. Now out on his own, blazing a trail in the industry. We posed the question to Adam, what if we did a podcast about what it's like to lead innovation at a major insurance company in the United States? Something Adam has a lot of uh, information about, a lot yeah. of know-how, a lot of experience. So that's what we thought we'd do today. So welcome to our episode with Adam Kostecki of... Confessions of a former innovation officer at a major insurance company in the United States of America. 
You know, I'll just lead it off. I got to give somebody out there credit here. This guy, Mike Liebord, insurance gig. Uh, At a conference, he was uh, pitching to me his idea about uh, new InsurTech ventures working on. And he previously led innovation at an insurance company. And uh, he sat there and said, hey, you know what leading innovation at insurance is like? He's like, it's the same exact job as being head of nutrition at Haagen-Dazs Ice Cream. (laughs) (laughs) You're constantly swimming against the tide and, uh, you know, dealing with resistance at at pretty much every angle. And I just sat across from him and I burst out laughing and said, man, that is a good one. That is absolutely true. So is it? Is that is it, yeah, is I mean, right? I mean, is let's, that start, let's start at the end and work our way backwards. Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the whole purpose of insurance companies is to eliminate risk, identify and eliminate and minimize risk. And necessarily innovation involves risk and trying to do new things, trying to do different things. And I think just inherently you end up with uh, a lot of conflict. You know, and and one of the key things I learned through running innovation and insurance company is that inertia is a very powerful force. Companies want to continue what they're doing, what they're doing and optimize 10 percent. That's really what we call the core innovation. Right. It's identifying with current customers and current products, how to streamline processes, how to improve uh, efficiencies. Yeah. Whenever you're in that space and you're working on these innovative ideas, who's coming up with the need? Who's coming up with the thing that needs to be fixed, right? Is that the the innovation team or is that somebody at a higher level? Like who's coming up with that? Do you have a bunch of people running to you from all over the enterprise saying, hey, how about this? Yeah, I got a problem. Can you fix it? Or is it you telling them that they have a problem? I think it, it comes from a, a lot of different directions. A healthy innovation uh, ecosystem at an insurance company has many different stakeholders. And certainly some ideas do get incubated and generated in the innovation team. Uh, many ideas do come from the front lines. You know, Ultimately, when it comes to incremental innovation, the people on the phones often have the best ideas and the best solutions to some of the problems that need to be solved. Certainly business unit leaders identifying, you know, clear problems or clear opportunities within their business units to drive efficiency is another source. Like that becomes some of the criteria we use to evaluate new ideas and ideate. Another place where, you know, the problems or the opportunities come from is just external scanning. And, you know, with InsureTech, there's so much activity happening in the market. There are so many new ideas, so many new components you know, that are out there enabling technologies that it's really up to the innovation team to see some of those capabilities as they're first emerging and really to start thinking about how they could help drive value at the insurance company. You know, but I think the the most valuable problems to be solved are really core problems in insurance, you know, and, and it's around, you know, having access to good sets of data that helps from a risk selection perspective or helps more accurately price premiums, um, you know, distribution strategies that allow you to reach those um, key targets and, you know, lower costs in acquiring new customers. Uh, And then certainly around the claims process, optimizing the claims process, improving the claims experience and, um, you know, improving accuracy of indemnity are key areas that I think every insurance company looks for solutions in. So, at the C level, let's start there. I'm sure you had interaction with the C level. 
Yes. They, they probably had tremendous interest in what you guys were doing, what you thought, what, what was possible and what wasn't, what was a fantasy and what could be a reality. But what did you learn about that? What does the sea level think? What's on their mind vis-a-vis the innovation team? You know, that's that's a good question, Rob. And I would say it's going to be different at many different companies, depending on um, what are sure. some of the key priorities sure. within the organization, whether they're growth focused or profitability sure. focused. But, you know, I think in many cases, there might be a disconnect in what they want innovation to do versus really what they need innovation to do. And, you know, many times it's the shiny object. You know, they want to investigate some of the latest um, capabilities and technologies uh, because they see other companies adopting it. They don't want to be left behind. But many times those aren't solutions to key problems that really need to be solved at the company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and but, I think- that's rather where, a distraction even. Right, right. And mm-hmm. that's where some companies, uh, and it's not just in insurance, but uh, some companies go afar when it comes to innovation. That's more of the innovation theater, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's necessarily a part of what innovation needs to do to stay on top of all the uh, trends and, and have a good understanding of that. But I think most importantly, innovation needs to be able to make the connection with those enabling technologies and really uh, key problems to solve inside the the industry. And at a company level, that's totally driven by the relationships you have in the C-level and at the business unit level. Um, And you know what? I'll I'll tell you, it requires those business heads and the the C-level folks to be clear on what are the problems that need to be solved. And sometimes... um, they may not have that level of awareness. I'm sure that sometimes you've maybe heard somebody say to you in so many words, of course, why don't we do this? Or why don't we try this? And you must think to yourself of all the things in the world, how could you come up with that? Well, and this is a technique we would use in innovation. It's called the five whys, right? When somebody would come with a solution, you'd ask them why they'd give you an answer. And then you ask them why again, until you're five whys deep. And by the time you hit that fifth why, you should be at an interesting insight. Many times you would get two or three whys deep and then the answer you get is, well, because. Right. And, you know, that's where you really need to be focused. And, you know, you need to make sure that when it comes to those just because, either there's a pet project or someone um, for whatever reason trying to advance an idea, that, again, may look good from the outside, but may not have a lot of value on the inside. But isn't it kind of tough if a C-level person says, hey, we need to do this, to say, no, we don't? <laughs> it's very, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And that's, we, we often, um, there's a couple different approaches, right? You know, when it comes to saying no, there are a couple different ways to do it. Um, everyone knows of the... Um, you know, the innovation technique, yes, and it's a technique that's often used in improv and it keeps everyone, you know, it keeps you expanding on ideas. We had a variation that was very much around yes, if, and understanding that innovation teams are often committed to many different projects, have limited resources, um, and someone just comes midstream outside of planning cycles with an idea you would often respond, yes, if, yes, if we didn't have to spend time on this other idea. Yes, if we had additional resources. Yes, if um, there was a clear business uh, 
problem behind that or clear mm -hmm. business case around bringing that solution forward. So sometimes that yes, if conversation really helped to tease out some of the um, limiting factors around why you can't do everything and also get to why that might be a good idea to move forward with. Sometimes I look at innovation teams and I think project management. I think that some innovation teams are out there to implement projects and make sure the entire organization is doing it. How does an innovation team keep innovating and not become just a project management team? Well, and I would say that's another misconception about innovation teams, right? Innovation isn't necessarily about implementation. Right. Right. We, we would have a, a saying that innovation is not idea daycare. You don't just come down and drop an idea off and then pick up something uh, at the end of the day without investing your own time and, and hard work. And again, most of these innovation teams are staffed with different types of roles, you know, business designers, strategic designers, customer researchers, uh, they can really help bring a, an idea to life or bring a concept to life that then you might pass off to another business unit or work in concert with a business unit to develop. But then when it comes time to project manage and implement, that's not necessarily the best use of innovation resources. You know, you need creativity. You yeah. need um, certain types of resources that don't exist in other areas of the company. And there are plenty of people that can develop a project plan and, you know, create a straight through implementation of an idea. The challenge is sometimes the things that are implemented aren't the things that are going to bring value. And that's where the innovation team really helps larger organizations. So if you want to be Adam Kostecki six months ago, and you want to lead, where do you enroll? What course of study do you enroll in to become the head of the innovation team? How, how do you get there? You learn by doing. In many cases, it requires a lot of grit and perseverance, right? Innovation is inherently challenging. And sometimes for, you know, everyone talks about failing fast and, and failing quick. And that is important, but some things that you work on for many, the, things can fail for many different reasons. It's important to reflect back on why something failed before you just abandon it. And if it failed because of lack of resources or lack of business unit support or wasn't implemented properly, you know, the MVP approach that you took uh, was too narrow, that might not be something that you should just move on from. You may want to go back and say, hey, we got to try that again with a different spin. So I think learning from experience and learning by doing is key. I mean, certainly there are MBA classes and certain schools that have innovation focused programs that you can learn more like an MBA. Oh, really? But, um, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think uh, Northeastern has uh, a, a pretty uh, strong program in innovation. You know, again, it's really, I think at a fundamental level, it's about understanding the business that you're in uh, having great uh, relationships across the business and understanding in many cases how to navigate um, some political interactions. Being on an innovation team, is that something that can be done long term or is it best to cycle people in and out to get fresh perspective, fresh ideas, or can somebody be on the innovation team for a long, long time? It's interesting you bring this up, but I recently read an article where 
or there's an opinion out there that you can't necessarily be successful in the long run in an innovation team. Because again, if you're ambitious enough, if, if you're taking on very risky ideas, you're going to fail a lot. A lot, so yeah. If you're in that team for a long term and you're failing a lot, you start to build that type of reputation. So I think when it comes to cycling folks in and out, I think that's a very powerful part of the innovation model. It helps keep that fresh perspective on what's happening in the business. But there are certain roles you do need, supportive roles that you do need in innovation that do really require long-term commitments. You know, things like customer research. You know, you're going to be doing customer research over a long period of time and it's formative. So every every time you do a research effort, you're learning a little bit more and creating a stronger foundation. And you don't want to be switching out customer researchers every you know couple of years or because it, it doesn't allow for that uh, generative approach it doesn't allow um, ideas to really build on themselves and um, you know pivot as as the need approaches but I do think on the business side having fresh talent and fresh ideas from the business is a very important component to healthy innovation teams would somebody reach out to you and say, hey, can you audit our innovation team or audit our innovation process? I think I could certainly look at the components that are in play, whether it be from a resource perspective, leadership perspective, process, you know, stage gates in between. And I could certainly look at and through some different stories, be able to provide suggestions on changes they might be able to implement to help improve their innovation process. Sure. You are now starting out on a new adventure, right? And that adventure is, tell us a little bit about that. It's uh, InsureTech Innovations. It's a consulting advisory service to help on the supplier side, as well as the carrier side, implement new ideas and create new value for the organization. Many times, as I said before, with startups, it's they've got some interesting technology, but they don't necessarily have the understanding of insurance. And what are the key use cases? So helping to refine that itch or refine that idea, create a product that's really tailored for insurance, that's something I can certainly lend some perspective on. Um, I have deep experience in the property claims area. And you know whether it be identifying opportunities for efficiency in property claims or providing new capabilities through direct repair or other expert networks to streamline the process, I've done that in the past. So, and again, I just, I follow a lot of what's happening on the insure tech space and I can give a unique perspective there. Do, is there a club, a secret cabal of innovation people that's lurking somewhere behind this curtain that we're trying to pull back today? Yeah, there is. And every meeting starts off saying, hi, I'm Adam and I'm an innovator. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only bad faces in the room. Everyone's, you can tell everyone, you know, shouldered a lot of burdens. But <laughs> It's usually in the rec room at a church. Yes, uh -huh. in the basement. Innovators uh -huh. Anonymous. Bunch of people smoking. About it. We can't talk about it outside the room. So, no, there isn't, Rob. What happens in the room stays in there. Well, but no, you go to a conference. Do you seek out, is there a group 
I mean, do you seek out, do you have friends who had similar positions to yours in other, with other carriers? Yeah. And you guys like would sit and hand each other Kleenexes back and forth and cry or what? Yes. Yes. And it's like, they're talking about their problems and they're the same exact problems as yours. And it's not just, it's not just limited to insurance innovators. I think I may have mentioned this on maybe the first podcast I was on here, but there's a firm out of Boston called Innovation Leader. They help corporate innovation entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs across every industry. And they had some of the best innovation focused events across the country. They generally did not include PowerPoint type presentations. They were more whiteboard sessions. Sometimes it was uncomfortable. You go into a a relatively small room and you're expected to contribute. You're expected to bring your problems to the table as well. But I learned so much from those events. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately, the same things that are happening or the challenges in innovation in insurance are the same across other industries. And that must be because, I'm guessing, just human nature. The, it's the human nature issues and problems. It's not like, do we need a chatbot to do this thing in this particular product line? But rather, how do we get everybody on board or, or things like that. Is, is that what it is that unifies it all? Is, is the fact that there's people doing this? You know what? It's not human nature. It's corporate nature, right? And corporations, especially old ones and ones that have been around for a while, have established very healthy immune systems to identify something new, to isolate it, and to Kill eliminate it. it. And it's, those are the corporate antibodies that are the antithesis to innovation, just like the human immune system, it's designed to identify different things. It's designed to tell you all the things that are wrong with it and why it won't work because the organization's filled with uh, experts. They'll tell you every time something's not going to work. Right. And, you know, isn't that so true? Is, isn't this why you'll say, what do you say? You say that uh, culture eats. Yeah, I mean, that's a common phrase. Culture eats strategy for breakfast or, or for lunch. I mean, I say it eats strategy for breakfast it eats change management for lunch, innovation for dinner, and digital transformation for dessert. It's all about the culture and having an open culture and people that are curious. Intellectual curiosity is huge. Whenever we would have people that would say, oh, this is never going to work. We've tried that before. You know, We would always say, you know what? Let's shift the conversation and just imagine for a minute we're talking about a theoretical conversation, how might we? Yeah. And when, you, when you ask that question, how might this work? What would have to be true right. in order for this mm-hmm. to work? Mm-hmm. It gets people's minds thinking differently. Sure. It, plus it brings them onto your boat instead of keeping them off of it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, like, hey, let's just spend a few minutes thinking about how this might work. Mm-hmm. Or what would have to be true? Now you're going to come up with the response to that are going to be the key assumptions that you need to test and prove throughout mm-hmm. your early um, investigations so that you can come back and say, hey, see, this is going to work because X, Y, Z. So these meetings that you had really became an exercise in how do you deal with the people? How do you deal with the corporate culture to get our ideas, to get our, our real work that we're trying to do? How do we keep it from being encapsulated, trapped, and eliminated? Was that really the focus of these things? Yeah, I mean, alignment and, you know, not necessarily consensus building, but alignment, 
I think is really important. And by the way, that's not something you can really do from the bottom up. It requires strong leadership at the top with clear priorities and budget behind it and resources that aren't going to go away at the first sign of trouble for the business that are going to endure. You know, that is something that I think leadership plays a really big role. And, you know, in, in some business units, they might think, oh, they, you know, the innovation team isn't connected enough to our business. Let's, we can do this on our own. And that just creates a rift. And then it becomes, you know, competitive. Yeah. And so many innovation teams fail because of um, that type of approach, not aligned on leadership and not aligned on resources and um, trying to move a lot quicker than really you should at certain points. What do you do whenever you come up against a coworker who is just super negative, not willing to budge, doesn't want anything to do with innovation, but yet you're being asked to kind of innovate within that group or that organization that they work? I mean, what, what do you do? Do you go to your boss and say, it just won't work? Or do you try to use some, some people skills? I mean, I, I think having influence from above is really important in that situation, right? You, you don't want to go to your boss every time you're dealing with a, a negative Nancy. But um, in certain circumstances, sometimes you do need to have those behind the scene conversations. And ultimately, innovation is all about, you know, trial and error. Yeah. And, you know, the key thing is to have an established process when it comes to innovation that you can point back to. And when people say, hey, let's do this or why isn't this working? You go back to it and you say, well, this is where we are in the current process. Uh-huh. If, right. Right. We're not just going to jump into launch and scale. We haven't hit the pilot milestone or we haven't hit the prototyping milestone. And, you know, it, when people come out with just an idea that hasn't been researched, you say, well, there's research is part of the innovation process. So where was the research done on this idea? Yeah. So and, do you try to take everything through that? I mean, I would assume it's I, I kind of see it on a workflow on the wall or on a diagram or a framed <laughs> something in a frame that says, here's our process and we're going to follow this on every idea. Is that what you try to do? It depends, right? You know, some of the core innovation uh, that happens, the incremental innovation that's very close to the business, it doesn't need to go through all those cycles. But the longer term efforts, the efforts that are really rooted in identifying new customer needs, they should go through those key steps along the way. Because what you do is you take out people and you take out personalities and you talk about where we are in the process, what we've learned, the KPIs or the assumptions we've demonstrated, and it really reduces it to a more of a mechanized process where you're looking at data, not opinions, and then you make decisions that are based on that. I would like to talk a little bit about these startups who come to you and these people with these ideas, they want to change the world and they're coming to you and they're, they're either talking to you about it or trying to get your advice. And I'm just wondering, I mean, when, when people come to me with their idea, I might not need it, but I, I don't just want to send them on their way. I want to invest in them and I want to help them. But yeah, you, might, you must get pitched all the time. I mean, tell me about that relationship. How do you not get so invested in somebody that it takes up all of your time? Or are there times where you just have to say, Thank you for, for the idea. Move on. I mean, talk about that. You can spend a lot of time scanning the external 
ecosystem and looking at different solutions. I mean, I'll tell you, there are certain categories in insurance right now that are extremely noisy and there's many different providers trying to now compete upon the success of a few prior entrants that have been very successful. And, you know, from my perspective, um, I like meeting new people. I like hearing uh, the pitches and seeing what's interesting. But to be honest with you, the industry, the auto insurance industry doesn't need another smartphone UBI solution right now, (laughs) you know? And, you know, like when people come to me with those concepts, sometimes you just have to relay that back and say, unless you've got something that's totally different here, the headwinds are going to be so difficult for a small company um, entering this space. Mm -hmm. You know, on the property side, uh, it seems like there's so many companies that are now uh, using AI to process aerial imagery and create attributes on property around risk. And there have been a few that have done it very well. But you know what? It's an extremely hard area now to get into. You know, what a lot of these companies don't understand is, hey, you might be able to come up with that new risk factor based on analyzing the aerial imagery, but you're going to have to file that in 50 different states in order for insurance companies to be able to uh, rate the policy based on it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need the actuarial studies and whatnot to demonstrate that out before you're going to, your, your clients are going to be able to use it. It's not so easy and quick. So I'm, I'm interested to follow up on Lee's question. We're interested in that connection between insure tech and innovation. I think in many, for many of the casual observers of innovation, like ourselves, when you talk about, when you talk to an innovation person from a carrier, you automatically think about, oh, how many uh, insurtechs have you vetted this year? Stuff like that. What Talk about that link between the insurtech world and an innovation team. Again, I think it falls in the category of that external scanning and being cognizant of what's happening in the industry. These uh, startups can be a great source of information from a competitive intelligence perspective to understand what other companies might be working on and where there might be some value that you haven't seen. But ultimately, uh, you've got to connect them back again to a key problem at the at your business that right. needs to be solved. Right. And um, again, you know, you might some of the providers out there that offer these no code solutions, you look at the demos and like, wow, this is so cool. But then you sit back and go, but I'm, I'm not trying to spin up a digital brand in a week. And I'm not trying to deploy this brand new insurance offering uh, that doesn't exist right now. So while it's great that it can be done, that's not a problem that my organization is currently having right now. I mean, it must be something that an an innovator, though, has to deal with all the time is being barraged by insurtechs, because I'm sure other people in the organization that they reach out to are pushing them in that direction. You know who you really need to talk to? You really right. need to talk to the innovation team. Well, and a good in- innovation team will act as the conduit, right? And will act as that first filter to say, yes, this is interesting or no, it isn't. And then secondarily, on the interesting ones that uh, have potential, they'll make connections within the organization with folks that will be interested, right? They can broker those introductions to the business unit leaders that have problems that could be solved through that platform. How does somebody on the innovation team stay organized? 
because you've got all these current ideas that you're working on, all these new ones, all the water cooler talk of people with new ideas. I mean, how does someone stay focused and organized? You know, I think it just comes down to, for the most part, having good time management skills and just good organizational systems overall, whether you use Outlook and task management or um, whatnot. You know, I think on an organizational basis, there are great platforms out there that can help to do things like prioritize ideas in different ways. And that can help from an organizational perspective, try and get to some of the key ideas. I mean, that's another misconception is that um, people think they, they need more good ideas. And the reality is you already have all the good ideas that, that you need within your organization. You just need to find the most valuable ones and you need to find the ones where the business uh, unit is ready to deploy and, you know, like that's how you're going to extract some value. So I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, are you guys really about innovation or are you really about just helping the org clarify things, right? It, I, it depends on where the other capabilities are in the, in the organizational structure. Often corporate strategy departments are there to really identify and focus the organization in on key opportunities or key initiatives. And in those cases, innovation might play a a lesser of that role in organizations without those strategy departments. Innovation can definitely help when it comes to identifying what's the key next thing to do. And by the way, like a, a lot of what we're talking to applies to incremental innovation, but when it comes to the adjacent innovation and the disruptive innovation, that's where a good innovation team will be in the lead and starting those efforts. They'll be seeing the trends happening externally, running the pilots to see what works. And then when things are ready, introducing them to the business units, because I think the other key thing innovation teams are good at is transferring efforts from the innovation team to the business unit. That's a common failure point when it comes to innovation efforts. Those teams that develop something up to a point and then throw it over the wall and hope it's successful often end up um, with a lot more failures than the ones that intertwine the business teams during the later phases of the innovation process, during the prototyping, piloting, and certainly at launch and scale, you need them there. Uh, But that's really how you ensure success when that initiative moves from innovation out into, you know, the wild, so to speak. What's adjacent innovation? Adjacent innovation refers to um, existing customers, but different opportunities. So you think about that when it comes to insurance, some examples, let's say on the home side, right? You think about home insurance is there after you have a, a loss. When you think about what's adjacent to home insurance, you start thinking about things like home maintenance. If we help people with home maintenance, then ultimately we should see fewer home losses, you know, and that's just one example. That's where a lot of the uh, loss mitigation technology comes in. Home monitoring is another example, right? There are uh, home monitoring companies and companies that can um, proactively uh, respond in times of need. That's an adjacent industry to home insurance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, when you look at innovation, those are kind of the three key areas. Core is current customers, current products, Adjacent is current customers, different products, and then breakthrough innovation is new customers, new products, or new markets, and new product. Are they all fun? 
Uh, some more fun than others, right? The incremental innovation, there's a lot more process there because there's a lot more people in the mix. There's a lot more culture. Yeah. Whereas the adjacent and the breakthrough, you want to have more separation from the core business to advance those ideas. Because if you bring an adjacent idea or a breakthrough idea back into the core business too soon, it's more likely to fail. So let's talk about innovation teams. And my question is, can innovation be outsourced? Should a company have an internal group on the innovation team or should a company use outsource resources? Uh, a consultant. A consultant. Using a consultant is always a good idea. <laughs> Do you know any? <laughs> yeah, I might know a guy if you need one. Um, and now a word from our sponsor. Yeah. So, you know, I think... I would say both, right? Good companies okay. will have a mix of both internal and external innovation. And even AM Best in the uh, criteria for ranking insurance companies, they recognize that sometimes you need outside resources to help. Where they can really help is, you know, when they've got experience in adjacent markets or experience in certain technologies that you don't have internally, yeah. they can really help accelerate that process. I mean, I, you know, Rob, you were talking about it last time, like reinventing the wheel. Everyone, you know, that's the not invented here syndrome, right? If it's not invented here, we don't want it. Um, but the reality is you can accelerate in some of these key areas uh, of innovation. You can really accelerate by leveraging prior learnings mm -hmm. and building upon those. Mm -hmm. which, would, which would be one of the reasons why you want to keep people around on the innovation team and not just have them cycling off like you were saying that that library of knowledge that they keep in their heads has to be valuable as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you don't learn through experience. You learn by reflecting on your experience. That's where having that consistency and people that can remind you and say, hey, remember this thing that happened over here? Here's another thing related to it, right? And you know, having that consistent thread can be very powerful there when it comes to building on learnings. So what's the hardest thing about running the team? You weren't just on the team, so you were a player coach, right? Yeah, I would say some of the most challenging things for innovation teams to solve are really the, the political turf wars and some of the politics that happens behind the scenes. Yeah, sure. And, I, and you want to know what? I don't know that it matters what you do. You're going to have that. I, I mean, I work in an entirely different area than you do. And Lee works in an entirely different area than the than us do. And I think that that's probably true. Yes, Lee? I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it all comes down to like universal culture. culture. Yeah. And that gets back, has to circle back to what, what's going on at the sea level. If the sea level is fostering that or insisting on it or walking the walk that probably greases the skids yeah yeah and you know when when certain efforts are allowed to proceed in other areas you know slowly and then they start gaining steam rather than being run through the innovation team where they might be better suited it just creates more and more of a divide so what makes you think now i'm gonna ask you a hard question okay mr smart pants well, you've already asked a lot of hard questions here. No, no, no. These are all softballs. Just give Come me on. a softball. This is where, when you sign up to be a podcaster, the first question they ask you is going to be a hardball. 
podcast or a softball podcast? Lee and I, softball podcast, powder puff. All day long. <laughs> it's on D-ball. a tee. We've, you, there's not even a pitcher. There's a, <laughs> the ball is put on a tee. And you so, just throw it uh, if you want to. It doesn't matter. What makes you think that you can take that experience that you've just had And of course, like we learned in your last episode, there's a lot of experience in your past, not just what you're doing, not what what you've done the last five years and take it out of working for a carrier, offer it in the industry and that it and that you can be helpful, valuable, et cetera. Why do that? And I'm not talking about personally, I'm talking about professionally. What made you say, you know what, I have something to offer to the industry. I would say that it wasn't a conscious decision to do this from my perspective. Through a number of interesting developments and conversations, you know, in the the first three months here, I've spoken over 40 different companies as a result of launching my business and just connecting with a lot of different people. And, um, you know, what, what I'm understanding from outside is that the perspective that I have is valued in in other areas and one of the things that i'm really good at is listening to how things are running and providing unique insights you know i mean often people will say a consultant he's going to steal your watch and then tell you what time it is um you know i i I have no intentions of doing that as much as um you know i've built up a a really a, a big book of contacts and my network is very strong and i'm known for being straight up and, you know, that's what I think I can bring to the industry and, and bring to different startups and even to different insurance companies is just a pragmatic approach, you know, learn, learning by doing. And granted, my prior experiences with one company, um, I was in a number of different areas in that company, but there are so many other um, organizational styles and lines of business and go to market strategies for insurance companies. I need to learn a lot more than what I know right now, you know, and this work really helps me um, start seeing some of those other opportunities and thinking about them differently. Sometimes a fresh perspective from someone with experience can be really helpful. Five years ago in insure tech and I assume in innovation, I and I mean that when I say I assume because I don't know for sure. Everybody was kind of looking for the silver bullet, right? That this this is the technology, the product, the company that's going to change everything, right? And disintermediate all these all these service providers and all this uh, hand touching of everything, and and it's coming. Right. Well, here we are now, five years later. It's not there is no silver bullet. Yeah. Um, Things have changed. So things have changed a lot in innovation. I'm sure five years ago, the C-level was saying, hey, find the silver bullet. What's it like today? How's it different today? Because we've learned a lot. I mean, yeah, the discussion five years ago was all about uh, disruption, right? And how InsureTech is totally going to upset the the apple cart, so to speak, when it comes to insurance. And there are a couple of, uh, you know, InsureTech carriers, focused carriers with new business models, new distribution strategies. And as those have played out over the past five years, on one hand, it's kind of given the incumbent carriers the opportunity to say, huh, see, we told you so. 
you know, there have been a couple of high profile failures in the market. But again, that's given some of the incumbents the opportunity to say, see, we were on the right track from before. And what I would say is, you know, where we are with InsureTech right now, it's, it's about enabling carriers to be better at what they do. And, you know, either by providing new sources of data that can help from a risk selection perspective, by providing new distribution strategies, you know, to sell their products to new audiences in a streamlined way. I think InsureTech, where it's going to go in the future, especially in such a hard market, I think optimization and efficiency, any InsureTech that's focused on that, uh, is going to be someone that an insurance company is going to want. Uh, certainly, loss mitigation is a big thing right now when, when it comes to a hard market uh, and inflation being what it is and just the challenges with getting homes and cars repaired, mitigating the losses ahead of time. It's, a, it's an important trend. I mean, I think the key is really the enabling InsureTechs that can help carriers be more effective. That give you a better tool belt as opposed to new tool belt. Right, right. You know, I, there's, there's been plenty of examples now to point to. It's not like tech, right, where you start up a tech company and it's all about growth. And it doesn't matter if you're not profitable, if you keep growing. You can't do that in insurance. Right. And, and it's like what you said, the incumbents had an inherent advantage and beside the, their existing book of business. And that is they've been doing this for a really long time. They, they understand and something as complicated as, as insurance. Now, insurance isn't brain surgery, but if you ever take a minute to go look at your insurance policy that's sitting in a drawer somewhere in your house, it's very complicated. And so they had a distinct advantage. But you know what? Like, I think one of the key things with insurance is the law of large numbers. That's one area that's very difficult to disrupt as a newcomer coming in. You know, the principles, the very foundation of insurance is spreading risk over a large pool. It's uh-huh. very difficult to do that as a startup insurance carrier yep. where you don't have that risk to really spread out. Yeah, right. And to be competitive. Right. And that's why these cyber guys are making it because they're brand new, right? Yeah. They're in a line that they're not competing with the incumbents or other things like that. Yeah. If somebody wanted to find you, they'd find you how? Primarily at this point on LinkedIn, I'm still somewhat in stealth mode. I will have a website up at some okay. point, but LinkedIn, or they can always email me, adam at insuretechinnovations.com. Number one. We love you. I don't care what anyone else says. Okay. <laughs> I don't care what Rob says, but we do. Number two, it's such a privilege to have you on our podcast because I'm going to say there's 25 times in a year where your name comes up in a conversation that Lee and I are having. 25 times? Is that right, wow. Lee? Yeah, I would think it's so. Like twice a month. Wow. Yeah. Lee, Lee's <laughs> holding up two fingers. I don't know why. Yeah, twice I've, a month. Okay. Okay. Hopefully, at least half of them are in a good context. Well, you know, seventy-five percent, seventy-five percent, one way or the other. And three, we're only being nice to you because we want to have a room like the one that you're sitting in at our house. And we figure if we kiss your, you know, someday, someday, Uh you know, these consulting gigs are going to dry up, and then I'll, I can build you some cabinets or whatever, you know. Okay. All right. Okay. No, I really appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. And it's been great to see see you guys along the journey as well. Absolutely. And we can't wait to see you out there in the real world in 2023. Yeah, definitely. You'll see me. Okay.
Okay, well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you guys too. Thanks, Adam. We were just talking offline about Adam and what an interesting cat he is. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. The man can build anything. He can construct anything. He can deconstruct everything. I mean, he has a whole long list of talents that are perfectly appointed for this new idea that he's entering into. This new world that he's starting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he can look at a very multifaceted problem and and figure it out. That's That's a pretty cool talent. I think he'll be very successful at this new role. Plus, he understands where the problems and the hitch points typically are, mm-hmm. which is really valuable. I loved what he said about consultants. Yeah. They'll take your watch and they'll tell you what time it is. <laughs> Just, I mean, there, we talked to him for 40, 50 minutes. And I mean, it was the insight. He knows the inner working. He knows the world. Yeah. He's going to have great success. And we're so we're so fortunate. We had two podcasts with him. Uh, we, we were very lucky to get a couple hours with him. So um, this is one of our last, if not our last podcasts of the year. And even though that's probably not when you'll hear it, but we want to say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, yeah. Happy Kwanzaa, Happy whatever your holiday may be, Happy New Year. Yeah. Best wishes to Alicia Moss, our intrepid producer. Also now are doing the recording today. Yeah, start and stopper today. Al Moya, who isn't here today, is on vacation. Thank He's you. He's on Al. a very much a very needed vacation. Thank you, Al. Lee Boyd, thank you. Thank you. Who Al. else do we have to thank? Jim Just per- you. Jim Pearl, John Jim Hall, Pearl. Randy Thornton right. for letting us yeah. for letting us do this crazy thing all the Chipper time. Jabber. And uh, who else do we have to thank, Lee? Well. We want to thank our spouses and our second grade teacher for believing in us. Not the third grade teacher. My who told second me I was grade teacher was Mrs. Schneider. She oh, was mean. Miss, she was mean. I think I had Miss Pearson. But it was my third grade teacher who told me I'll never make it in life because I didn't color in, in the lines. <laughs> you will be a failure. Wow. I had that. Boy, that, was was my, right. that was my sixth grade teacher that did that. Everyone has one. She was awful. My sixth grade told, teacher told me I'd be in jail. <laughs> I remember that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you must have been really bad. Dude, I mean, I'm a sixth grader and my teacher's in front of the whole class says that. You're going to be in jail. Mine just called uh, me a failure. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I know I didn't ruin my life. He, he, he said that I know from how you kids are today what your future holds. And he went around the room. And then he came to me, you know, a couple of people. And then he came to me like Beller, for example. He's going to be in jail. <laughs> there's still time or is there a past i don't know about uh i don't know hmm. google it there's, all, google there's it. time google it okay well listen thank you all merry christmas happy new year happy hanukkah happy new year. kwanzaa etc and um best wishes for a great 2023 and until then goodbye everybody <laughs>